And we figured that if we created a, a model like this, there would be people who are interested on a data side, on a politics side, on a policy side, on a fundraising side, and just on a general election intrigue side. So with that many different types of audience who might want to look at this to know how much money do I need to raise to win versus I'm doing a research paper on black candidates and their likelihood of winning in the model, this has great intrigue and usage for many different audiences. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. This episode is about PrimaryCast, a site that aims to predict the winners for Democratic primary elections. I interviewed three of the people who worked on the project. Daniel Hogenkamp, who heads up Grassroots Analytics, about the business side. Carney Clears, the talented information designer from Graphicacy, who worked on the design. And Richard Elliott, the elections analyst. He worked on the data. PrimaryCast is a good example of how to put together a useful and informative political technology project. So after a quick word from our sponsor, my interviews with Danny, Carney, and Richard. First, Danny of Grassroots Analytics. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Danny, would you mind just reminding my audience again who you are? My name is Danny Hogenkamp. I am the chair of the board of Grassroots Analytics, which is a parent company and consumer database company that owns Grassroots Analytics campaigns, Grassroots Analytics nonprofits, Grassroots Analytics capital raise, and Primary Cast. Primary Cast is something that is a sort of tech product that folks on our campaigns team had worked up. Um, it's actually an interesting story. The 538 team, who's known for their modeling of general elections, actually tapes their podcasts oftentimes in D.C. in our WeWork offices. So we've been able to ask them questions on and off the podcast. And we basically have a stata model that tries to take the 538 general elections model, especially the fundamentals aspect of it, and apply it to Democratic primaries. So we've had this in the works for a few years. It really accurately predicts Democratic primaries. This cycle, we decided to sort of open source primary cast in the model so that the general public could see what we have known for a few years, which is it's fairly easy to predict uh, who's going to win a Democratic primary based on public information. Well, tell me about that model. So Richard Elliott, who runs the model now, is sort of in charge of it and maintains it. I believe it's the last five or six election cycles. It looks at who won House races, Senate races gubernatorial races and big mayoral races, who won those Democratic primaries. Then it looks at fundraising numbers, demographics of the candidates, ideology of the candidates, really anything you can think of, endorsements of the candidates, how much money do they spend, how much money do they spend in prior elections, looks at all that. And then it looks at the vote margin, figures out you know what variables have a greater or lesser role on election results, you know, in the technical term, we're looking for beta values, sort of how much does an additional $100,000 in a Democratic primary boost your expected vote share. And then we take all that historical analysis, we weight the more recent analysis. Obviously, the beta values change by years. In some years, they change very drastically. You can see after George Floyd was murdered in Minnesota this year, very starkly how the beta values for how well black candidates did in Democratic primaries just shot up. Um, so we actually weight by recency the beta values. And then for elections that we're predicting, we just look at that same basket of characteristics. We input all that data. 
And then the beta values predict, you know, where we expect the vote share to be. And obviously we predict with a margin of error and that's why you see uncertainty and uh, sort of percent chances baked into the, the actual visualization on primary cast website. Is gender one of those? Gender is huge. Gender really took off as soon as Trump got elected. I think I don't, for whatever reason, Trump's election was an enormous awakening amongst Democratic primary voters that women are horribly underrepresented in government. And the benefits of if all things are equal in a primary, the benefits of being a a woman in a Democratic primary have grown steadily since then. And if it's generic candidate X versus generic candidate Y and generic candidate Y is a woman, I think we're around at a 15% advantage. And then that gender advantage varies widely based on the demographics of the district and the sort of urban rural composition as well. What do you use for ideology and how do you find that that works? We measure ideology by clear signaling that people do. Um, Certain language, you know, they mention Green New Deal on their website, stuff like that. I think ideology and democratic primaries, once you include fundraising, it's largely overrated, which is if you are the only progressive in a race, you get around a 10% boost. If you're one of many progressives in a race, you get sort of a 5% deduction. That's like the rough math from what I remember. And that's pretty intuitive, right? Like if it's sort of a self-selection issue, it's like if you are a really good candidate and progressive, you probably cleared other candidates out of your lane and have that lane to yourself. If you're not a great candidate, maybe a a few other progressives think that maybe they can take that lane from you, and then you end up with several progressives. We would guess that the progressive benefit also comes from like a sort of uh, being able to coalesce the activists and sort of um, take advantage of the free manpower that the progressive community oftentimes provides these campaigns. How does this doing this modeling and being able to anticipate how well different candidates might do in a Democratic primary. How does that fit with your business? Why did you want to do this? Well, I don't really think it fits with our business at all. We at Grassroots Analytics had lots of clients who we thought had were are very viable candidates. So think about like a maybe it's a five-way open primary for a house district. And we would get really upset with how the media would talk about that primary. Oftentimes they would write sort of passion pieces about a candidate that in our model had 0% chance to win when our candidate who had like a 40 or 50% chance to win um, that we worked with wasn't getting talked about at all. There's not much of a, a business backing to it. We just could not believe and we're never able to get over. So now we're just spending our money to enlighten the general public how poorly equipped the media is to talk about who will win and lose Democratic primaries. I mean, on a very basic level, it's so much of it is just fundraising numbers. You talked about open sourcing this information, and I I wasn't sure if you meant that in a technical sense that like the code and, and such would be made available, or if you just meant we're going to put this model up on the internet in a way that people can get to it and play with it and look at the results. You know, we've thought about open sourcing our code, but for the time being, I meant it more as we're just open sourcing our up-to-date predictions at all times. So when we update our model with new data, it will be shown online and people could see what our up-to-date predictions are. So what is the product that you have put together? What is PrimaryCast? What will people actually see online? So PrimaryCast is a visualization of the grassroots analytics primary model. So we hired Graphicacy, a great data visualization company, to basically visualize what the expected vote share for each candidate in a competitive Democratic primary is, to show what percent chance of winning that election we think each candidate has, and then to sort of score the candidates on four criteria that we think are sort of like a good four-way split if you have to just rank people on simple four criteria. Um, And that is fundraising prowess, demographic match with your district, name recognition, and endorsers. The graphics is my company, but I'd like to point out that if anyone else has a really cool political online project, I'd be happy to feature that on this show as well. Who worked on it besides Graphicacy? Our technical director, Joey Mamlin, did a lot of work on the model. 
back when we were both on the campaigns team. But Richard Elliott, who is actually running for state rep in Maryland. So if you're listening and live in Maryland, you should check out his campaign. Works for Grassroots Analytics. He has a master's degree in political science from Johns Hopkins. And he has sort of taken ownership of the project and keeps up to date with sort of tweaking the model. And what, you know, is really behind the bottle is tons of data cleaning and data input, right? Getting publicly released fundraising numbers from all over the country, entering that into the model. Overseeing interns who code each candidate as progressive or as LGBT or as you know, someone that affiliates with the AAPI community, you know, all that coding that goes into it, the data input at the back end of the model is, is quite the, he puts quite the effort in. Um, and so he's the one that sort of oversees and has managed the publication of the model. So at what point in the cycle does it become interesting to go to the site because there's enough going on? Yeah, I mean, it's most interesting, probably January like 20th of 2022, because every single house race will have just re- released quarter four fundraising reports. And you should have a very clear picture of what every Democratic primary that's competitive in the country will look like. That's, you know, House, Senate, Governor. And right now, the model basically has almost nothing on it because there's not that many competitive elections. But a bunch of Special elections did pop up, and there's the the 2021 Virginia gubernatorial and a few 2021 mayorals. Um, And those fundraising reports are released January 15th. So my guess is by around January 20th, we'll have all the data refreshed, and the model will give a really insightful look into upcoming special elections and 2021 gubernatorial and mayoral primaries. And I just clicked over to it, and I see that you have Terry McAuliffe with a 52% chance of winning and Jennifer Foy at 29%. Yeah. He came out of the gate with a lot of money and he's a professional fundraiser before he was governor. You would think he'd have a big advantage, but why do you think the model gives Jennifer Foy such a, almost a third of a chance of winning? The model so far is based on publicly released data, which is all we know is that Terry raised several million dollars in his first few days. And we know Jennifer Carol Foy had raised 750K as of July. So when the Virginia data for how much they fundraised in quarter three and quarter four comes out, which is going to be January 15th, I believe, then we'll have a much more accurate picture of the race. My guess is Terry McAuliffe has a a much bigger lead now, you know, but we'll see, you know, maybe Jennifer Carol Foy or Jennifer McClellan or Delegate Lee Carter come out strong uh, with their own fundraising numbers. It's sort of, we can't predict something based on data we don't have yet. And are you generally happy with how the site came out? and looks and works? Yeah, I'm very happy. I think that we did a good job of not making it overly complicated. There, We have so much data in our models that we could show that we did a good job of judiciously only putting stuff that would be helpful to a sort of average reader. Do you have any interest in expanding this to state legislative? Uh, I don't really because so the farther down the ballot you get, the more of a sort of fundraising contest it becomes. It's so interesting going into these various like I've embedded with so many campaigns over the past few years. And it's so interesting in these Democratic primaries. You have these amazing candidates who have such good stories. But in a congressional district of you know 700,000 people, say it's a Democratic one, there's like 450,000 Democrats. Even a very accomplished person in their district will have at most, when they start their congressional race, like 5 or 10% name recognition amongst Democratic primary voters. And the Herculean task of getting your message out to another 400,000 people, possible Democratic primary voters, takes so much money. It takes so many signs, so many mailers, so many paid organizers, so many TV ads, so many expenses, so many staff expenses to communicate even two or three sentences about yourself, two or three quick talking points about yourself to that many people. Consequently, these campaigns largely, you know, sort of fall back into fundraising contests. How is your trio, I guess, of grassroots analytic enterprises doing? It's uh, great. Campaigns. We work with almost a thousand campaigns a cycle. Lots of very large campaigns. The company's doing doing really well and growing. 
nonprofits just launched and it started providing, you know, our sort of like high end left leaning consumer data and contact information to nonprofits. They're doing well. And Grassroots Analytics Capital Raise is in the process of becoming in a sort of investment bank slash broker dealer. And that's an interesting process. I've never formed a bank before. What will Capital Raise do? Capital Raise uses our high-end consumer data and some sort of AI targeting to help socially responsible ESG businesses raise capital from private investors. You've been a busy man. Thank you for the update on Primary Cast and the other stuff. Anything else you want to say? Check out Primary Cast. Um, check out the website when fundraising numbers drop after January 15th um, and get a lay of the land on special elections and um, 2021 races. Um, but otherwise, yeah, thanks so much for all the work you're doing to, to educate folks and uh, appreciate your time as well. And now, Carney with Graphicacy. Carney, would you mind just introducing yourself? Give me a quick biography. Sure. Yeah, my name is Carney Clears. I'm the uh, senior information designer at Graphicacy. And previous to that, I've spent about a decade working as a designer um, for organizations and uh, progressive causes. And most recently, spent five years at World Resources Institute helping um, mainly scientists and researchers communicate climate change through data and visualization work. What is an information designer? There's a couple different ways to end up at that job description, but I come from a design background. And so I have a pretty traditional design training, but over the course of my career, have focused more and more on communicating data and information, not just other types of content like text and photo and video, but um, information designer is about the design of data and complex systems and finding ways to communicate them clearly and simply. It's sort of a multidisciplinary job that involves traditional design, data analysis, data visualization, and you need to you know have a little bit of UX, UI knowledge for how to um, make things work online on various screen sizes. And it's just um, taking complex topics and trying to um, have them communicate visually to, to the target audience. What do you like about that? It can be very challenging, but it can also be very rewarding. And it's really during the, the time um, that I was at World Resources Institute working with scientists and researchers that I realized that it's sort of a gap in the communications work that organizations do, that uh, it's really a discipline unto itself, that there, there's so much information and so much um, uh, data out there that can be pretty impenetrable unless someone really takes the time and the care and intention to craft it and, and work with it uh, so it communicates clearly and succinctly. When it works well, uh, especially when I'm working with experts in their field, people that um, are wonks uh, and whatever that topic might be, can sometimes it, it's hard to see outside of their little narrow view of the field that they work in. And so it can be very fun and rewarding when I can help them translate the thing that they're working on in a way that actually clicks for people outside of their field. And I think information design can help do that. How did the project that we're going to talk about here, Primary Cast, how did that arrive at your desk? As part of the team at Graphicacy, um, we work with a number of organizations uh, who, who are looking to build these types of tools, um, interactive tools on the web that let users click around and explore a data set, whatever that might be. We have a couple different designers, but you know, when it came in the door, because of, of scheduling availability, I was the designer that ended up working on it. And we, we went through our uh, fairly standard you know, kickoff start of a, a, a project process that involves um, having a discovery conversation where, in this case, it's uh, grassroots analytics is, um, you know, the people who came to us with this idea, this data set, and this project they wanted to do. And it really starts with a conversation where we talk through what their goals are, what the intention is for this project, who the audience is for it, you know, who they expect to want to use it, why they're going to want to use it, um, what's the need it fills that's not already out there, what makes this tool unique. What questions will people bring to the table with it and how can it help answer those questions? So it's, you know, through questions like that, that points towards a direction to take on a project like this. Those are a lot of very good questions, I think. What were some of the answers that you heard? What was grassroots analytics looking for as you understood it? I think there's a lot of people who 
like to forecast and talk about who they think is going to win when it comes to the general elections. The primaries can be a little bit more of the Wild West. You have these primaries. Some certain open primaries might have like five to 10 people running. And uh, at least on um, the Democratic side of things, it's sort of like an under-looked at or under-reported side of things of like, who might actually uh, be projected to win in, in an upcoming primary and why? Connie, these are primaries for what kind of offices? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Let's back up then. So the point of this tool is uh, to take a look at upcoming races in the Senate, upcoming races for the House of Representatives, so congressional races, and also the other statewide races would be the gubernatorial races, the, the governor races. So it's basically governorships, Senate and House, and the Democratic primaries for those races. And uh, grassroots analytics has sort of a uni- unique way of taking stock of these primary candidates, uh, putting them up against each other and seeing how they're doing across a number of metrics and combining those together in sort of a secret sauce uh, under the hood methodology for coming up with uh, projections of who they think is going to win various races. For them, it's something that they've been looking at and using internally, uh, and they might communicate you know, a race here, a race there. Here's who we think is going to win based on our methodology. But they haven't actually tried to make these predictions available to the general public before. So, so the cool thing about this tool is, especially when there's a new slate of uh, primaries coming out, you know, new people are, are entering different primary races, it makes it pretty easy to kind of click around and explore and see uh, who at least uh, grassroots analytics is projecting uh, might win some of these races. So who do you think might be interested? Who do you think the audience is for this? Um, so there's a couple different audiences. Uh, for sure, this project is a bit, you might call it kind of an insider baseball style tool for people within the uh, Democratic Party apparatus and establishment. It's the people who run campaigns uh, and the people who are involved in campaigning who might find this tool very useful. It helps to get a sense of uh, you know the people who are uh, projected to win. And th- there's also historical data of the last you know, 12, 18 months of primaries for who did win and how they did against these projections. You can start to get a sense of, of what certain candidates do well. And it looks at things like their fundraising, their demographic match for their district. I believe the end goal of a tool like this is to help Democratic primary candidates do a better job at tooling up their campaigns to win. This can help point them to the kind of things that work and don't work. So what was your process for translating what the goals were of your client into a interface that allowed people to explore the data that they were providing? We treated this project like it was uh, what I would call a design sprint. We had a fairly limited timeline and a tight budget, um, but I actually view that as um, an advantage for projects like this. Whereas um, instead of having a fairly open-ended, freewheeling, creative process, it's going to be more streamlined and more tactical, where in the initial discovery conversations, um, we're asking questions that we think will lead us and arrive us towards a visual solution that could work. During the early stages of the designing, it's about rapid iteration. Is um, I get the components of the design down onto the page quickly so I can start moving them and rearranging them. And uh, once I get something that is largely kind of blocked in, where I think it, it, it's an interface that's starting to work, I share it first with my team internally. I work closely with Chris Lanou, the engineer who built this. And then uh, we share versions back with the grassroots analytics team. And the idea is to iterate quickly, get feedback quickly, and then course correct as we get that feedback, rather than uh, spend a long time getting a very, very polished first round design we may, might spend a shorter amount of time to arrive at a first draft that is a bit unpolished, but we can get very useful feedback on what's working and not working, revise, next round, get feedback, revise, and as we go, we're polishing. So we're iterating quickly and you know, from the start date to you know, maybe about two weeks out, we might actually get through about you know, two, three, four rounds of pretty quick design work. And when you're talking about design work and and having something to show a client, are you talking about something that's like in a wireframe form or something that's in a working app form or some kind of mock-up? What, what are you talking about? In this project, um, due to uh, my comfort level with, with design tools and lack of comfort with code, uh, it was more the former of working with um, higher fidelity wireframes and 
you know, something that is representative of what the final product will look, but is not yet tied into live data. You know, it's, it's not a working prototype yet. But what I like to do is, I, is when I present a designs, a mock-up or a wireframe, they're not just static screens, but what I'll tend to do is use the tools to um, wire them up with some basic connectivity. And what that basically lets, lets me do is I'll make, you know, clickable areas that advance to the next screen. So it sort of fakes what the interactivity should be. And, and, and the idea is, in addition to the look of, you know, the map should be here and then it's going to have a sidebar and then you click this to do that, you actually have to um, walk the client through the user pathway that you know, when they first go open the website, it looks like this. And then they click here, that opens that. And then you click here and it pulls open this map. You hover over it, it does that. And so I'll, I'll design you know, every step of that path. So even though we haven't coded anything yet, um, the Grassroots Analytics has a very clear idea of what the experience is going to be like for the user. And then that's what we're looking to get them to kind of weigh in on and give us feedback and approve. And that um, lets our engineer, you know, have a very clear thing to code of, of, he knows exactly what the interactions are going to be, what goes to what and how everything connects up. Yeah. And I will say though, on this project is some of the central functionality was sort of figured out in the first week, uh, such as the kind of maps that we're going to use. We were working concurrently. So I was still finishing the design and getting approval on on some of the design elements while Chris was getting the... um, infrastructure in place and getting the map components working and then like the styles were applied later. So we were kind of working side by side. What tool do you use for creating these mockups? In this case, I used um, Adobe XD and that's Adobe's UI UX design software that, you know, they put out on the market a couple years ago. It's basically the same. It's a competitor with Sketch and Figma. They all, they all do similar things, let you um, as a designer, uh, you know, design four screens for um, interactivity. We use that as far as it's useful. And then at some point, once we hand it over into the development process, it then moves into, you know, we have a working prototype and uh, it's all being coded up. It's tied to the live data. And uh, we might still do, do some small tweaks at that stage, but there's a certain point where we're referring to the wireframes and the mockups from the Adobe XD files less and less and looking at the live in-browser coded version more and doing tweaks to that as, as we're able to kind of poke at it and see how live data looks inside it. While you were in the design phase, how much did the design change and, and what sort of things were different as you iterated? So this is one that actually landed pretty close to um, how it was going to look in the final live version um, early on. The iterations are more on some of the minor details, but the overall structure, we kind of landed on verbally with them in our first uh, discovery meeting which was that's going to have a central map and the map is how users explore it rather than fill in congressional districts or states by um, some sort of numerical number. What we're going to do is come up with a categorical description of how competitive the race is. And, and you know, that's the primary way to categorize races. And then there'd be a sidebar in which um, you click on a district or a state and you can get details about that race in the sidebar, uh, which lets the user explore individual candidates. So the overall structure was confirmed verbally by all parties in that first meeting. And I was able to put that that together in the first round. And that basically has stayed uh, the same um, through to today. It's just a lot of the little details and the margins um, kept moving and shifting and tweaking. To what extent did you have to grapple with the data itself, both about the districts and the candidates and the analytical part that, that sort of does the prediction? The difficult part with the data was more around the fact that there is going to be a longitudinal look at, the, at data that we're going to have both upcoming races, uh, races have not yet happened, but we also have historical data of, of primary races that have already been concluded. And we need to show both of them. And uh, there needed to be a way for users to be able to see both toggle around. And as this tool grows and lives, you're going to end up at a point where with any given state or district, uh, might have uh, you know three or four older races, and so we needed to add sort of a a drop down within any given race when there's previous ones to switch between them. Um, so sort of like the um, navigation within the tool, like how to make sure that the previous races are discoverable. The way it works right now on the map is uh, a, a state or a district is colored in by the competitiveness of the 
upcoming race if there's an upcoming race. If there's no upcoming race, then it's filled in by the previous race that is closest in calendar date to today's date. So it's going to take the most recent date, you know, race that has already passed. And it's just figuring out that flow that was actually a bit tricky uh, and took some time. The data around the candidates themselves uh, was a bit easier to handle because that was pretty much already locked in and figured out on the grassroots analytics side. We only had a few metrics we're looking at. We're looking at the projected vote share, how much they think a candidate is going to win, and what that translates into into their winning percentage. So I just pulled up in a random district and I see a candidate has a projected vote share of 49%. So that translates into a 71% probability that they'll win the district. And then underneath the hood, they ha- there's a candidate profile where any candidate is given a letter grade for things like their fundraising, et cetera. So we, we sort of had some baked in th- things that we you know the letter grades, it's, it's categorical. We're not going to show the, the, any, the numbers further down beneath there, but we do need to show the projected vote share and the chance of winning. And then for past races, we also need to show the actual vote share, you know, how the model performed against what, you know, what, what actually happened. Did you also have to design this to work on mobile screens? Yes, we did. Um, so we actually made a decision that's a, maybe a little controversial, but um, I stand by it, which is rather than make everything available and work on both desktop and mobile, we basically have a pared down version of the tool on the phone. And uh, the sidebar, uh, which has the little intro text and it says upcoming races, and there would be, would be a list of races when there are upcoming races you know, within the tool, you can click on those and go directly to that race and find out, you know, um, the projected chance of winning, for, for, et cetera. Uh, when you're on a phone, that's all you see. The map goes away uh, because the map is, especially the congressional district map for the house races, is just too detailed and complex to really be able to navigate easily on the phone. So you have the kind of the full desktop experience that lets you use the maps to, to interrogate and, and see all the historical data. But when you're, you're on the phone, you get a streamlined stripped down experience, which is just a, a list of the upcoming races. We're planning on continuing to work with Grassroots Analytics to expand the tool. One thing that we'll probably do is on, on the phone version, making it so you can get to the historical races, possibly by a search box or something like that. But I still stand by the, the decision that um, there's a version of this that's kind of a text-only version with a sidebar on the phone where you don't get the map, but you, through search or drop-down or other type of navigation methods, are able to find all the races you're looking for. Did it change as a result of feedback that you got from Chris, the engineer, about like what would be easier or, or make more sense on the implementation side, or was that pretty straightforward? Yeah, there was a few things. Something you can see on the house races tab a little bit more easily. Um, I had this idea that when you clicked on a, a, a district, it would highlight that district and the district would like pop up a little bit and it would increase in size. And, and we were able to implement that, but it, it took a while. And uh, at first, Chris pushed back against it being like, oh, I actually don't think that you can do this with these like geospatial tiles. We ended up finding a workaround to be able to do it. But there's a few other minor things like that that you know didn't translate exactly from... Um, the design files to the the coded up version, but in this project, it it was a little bit more seamless, mostly because um, Chris was reviewing and giving me feedback during the design stage throughout. So by the time we finished the design phase and went into engineering, the approved designs were something that Chris was confident that he could engineer very close fidelity wise to what we had in the designs. Um, definitely, one thing that took a lot of um, tweaking was the. Um, labels on the map for the states and the positioning of these labels so they were near the state but not obscuring another state. So we fine-tuned a lot of the positioning of the labels, which had to happen in code. It was not something that we were able to do before that point. What feedback did you get from the client on the design when it finally settled down and from their users? The main piece of feedback or the thing that we added um, late in the process was an ability to switch between races when you've already clicked a district. So if you're in you know, Missouri's first congressional district and there happened to be you know, two races within the uh, database, uh, we added a drop down from that sidebar that you're able to switch between them. Similarly, you know, if you're looking at Georgia and it happens to have had both a, both a Senate race and there is a gubernatorial race, you're able to switch be- between them. So that sort of navigation method to make everything discoverable 
was not in the first round designs that it actually took a little bit of back and forth to um, get the um, the logic figured out. Right now we just have house races and statewide races are sort of the two tabs on the map. We talked about splitting out statewide races. You had one map for Senate races and another map for the, the governorship races, but there's just not enough of them to really warrant having its own map. So we kept them folded in within statewide races. We'll have to kind of reevaluate where there's one primary date that happens to have both like a governor race and a Senate race. And then we need to decide, you know, which is the one that user gets to when they click on the state, stuff like that. But uh, nothing major about it changed. One thing that we added was on the candidate profile box that kind of accordions out when you click on the candidate name, we added the ability to, there's like a little button, that's a little eye info button. You hover over it. It gives some of the definitions for, you know, when they say it has a demographic match or uh, a letter grade of A or name recognition of D, what does that mean? Uh, what are the sort of the data sets underneath that? And so you can kind of see the details there directly next to the candidate profile without having to click the about our methodology button to um, on the bottom of the page to kind of see the full details of the data. So was this a good project for you? Yeah, I think so. I tend to enjoy these sort of um, design sprint style uh, rapid projects where we're able to get into it quickly, ask a lot of questions, present design options, and you know get from start to finish in a rapid manner. I think the uh, finish tool um, is pretty neat. It's pretty polished. I especially like the this solution we ended up on for the um, house races map, the congressional districts map. We used a, um, a cartogram map that was uh, built by the Daily Coast cartography team, uh, which does a good job of balancing, you know, the recognizable state shapes, but also making sure that the congressional districts are equally sized. So, you know, New York and California are going to be the biggest states there because they have the most congressional districts. And then the um, Midwestern states like Iowa, Nebraska, Idaho are much smaller because they have much fewer congressional districts. And that kind of gives you a more accurate portrayal of the lay of the land. Um, congressional district maps, there's been a ton of them. Uh, you know, every major news outlet has made one and everyone tries their hand at doing a different sort of a, you know, kind of a tile map or cartogram map where you uh, don't rely on the underlying geography of the state. And I thought this was a nice compromise one that, that does a lot of things well. So yeah, it was things like that that make a project like this enjoyable. Is it you know the, that that sort of problem solving to find the solution that works for the client? Anything else that you think people should know about the design side of this project? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot. I think the tool is going to be uh, more useful during the primary season when there's a lot of up- upcoming races. But I also think it's a neat uh, kind of historical record to take a backwards look at races that have happened. Um, how competitive certain districts tend to be. I think it could be interesting to add something like a timeline slider to the map, especially in in the future when there is more of a historical record that's been added to this. You can kind of scrub through different primary seasons and see at a glance, like, are there certain districts that tend to always be very competitive? Uh, Where are sort of the hotspots that, um, where these competitive districts that you would imagine a lot of the like fundraising primary fundraising money is going to probably flow to because these, these are where um, the hot races are, that kind of stuff. Like I think there's a, there's a good foundation here to build on and uh, make this tool pretty interesting and useful into the future. Well, Carney, thanks for talking to me about this. Yeah, no problem. And now Richard with Primary Cast. Hi, Richard. Would you mind just introducing yourself, giving me a quick biography. Hi, my name is Richard Deshay Elliott. I am a UMBC alum. I got a bachelor's in American studies with minors in history and political science. Recently completed a master's in political science at Johns Hopkins University. And I'm running the only model that predicts all of the democratic congressional races in the country for gubernatorial, congressional, and Senate primaries. I thought this you're the only model that predicts the primaries. Yes, yes. We are the only group that predicts in every single primary. There's some that are polls, but for a predictor that gives you both win share and vote percentage, we believe we're the only model like that. And why would you want to make such an undertaking? Uh, Well, combining the data from the past four primary elections, the fundraising information, vote share, demographic changes in the district, uh, we were able to 
produce a very unique model that is stunning in its accuracy and consistency, uh, and that I think is a very useful tool for you know potential primary challengers or for people running in an open primary, regardless of the level of office. What are the pieces of this model? So there's about 40 different variables that we are studying. They include things like fundraising, cost of the media market, demographics, and these produce four different grades. So I'm going to click into the model on my computer, and I'm looking at the Kentucky Senate race. So fundraising, demographic match, name recognition, and organizational support are the four grades that help to predict the candidate's vote share and winning percentage. Uh, There's also such factors as, for instance, have you run in the district before? Are you self-financed? Common in in these sort of models is some measure of candidate quality, where typically something like they've run and won, uh, like a lower office, they've already been an elected official. Is that something that you incorporate? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, as I said before, there's also the have you run before for the seat at all, uh, the amount of name recognition that you have, which is dependent upon the amount of spending you have on radio, television, uh, other advertising, divided by the cost of the media markets. I think that's one way that you can measure candidate quality as well. Uh, But it incorporates a considerable amount of data, and as a result, in most of our races, we have a pretty solid result. When have you noticed that the model hasn't worked? Okay, so I'm going to click back into the model. In Virginia House District 5, our model predicted that Bryant Webb was going to win, a 50% chance of winning, uh, and that his vote share would be 37%, but his actual vote share was 67%. In late June, there was a massive swing in the primaries towards black, younger, and progressive candidates in the wake of Black Lives Matter protests. So our model, as no model really could, has no way of gauging a massive shift in political opinion across the country. Another example would be South Carolina District 3. This is an extremely red uh, rural district. Uh, We predicted that Mark Welch was going to win. We gave him an 82% chance of winning. Uh, but he ended up losing to Hosea Cleveland, who got 57% in a two-way race. So just some of the things the model can't account for are huge variances in districts that are very red, uh, very small primary turnout, uh, or in races where a sudden national political shift has a deep impact. Is it a regression model? Yes. Myself and the other individuals who worked on it, we coded in large amounts of data from the fundraising statistics from the FEC, uh, vote share data from all of the different primaries for the past several years, and some other data as well. Standard multiple regression, or is it some other fancier version? I believe so, but I, I didn't make that part. I mostly just input the data into the model once the regression analysis was created. Uh, who helped you? I was given the data by uh, Grassroots Analytics. I thought Primary Cast was a project of Grassroots Analytics. Is it a project of theirs or of yours? Or no, it's how a does project it... of mine with the data being provided from Grassroots Analytics. Did you go to them with this or did they come to you? How did this all come to pass? I went to them with this, with the idea, because in the past I've worked on another similar project regarding a national study of gubernatorial candidates and their positions on the issues. So with having made that model in the past, I thought that this would be an interesting project to try and create. And being able to create it was a, was quite a thrill, in my opinion. So where did the idea come from to having built a model like this and having collected the data, which is quite a task, to turn it into a website and something that would have a kind of a visual component? Well, as I was looking through election Twitter and the very, very popular uh, just discussion about recently, you know, during the primaries, there were a lot of very interesting primaries across the country that got a lot of talk. But also, as was seen during the election week, of how many people were just looking at an election map. And we figured that if we created a, a model like this, there would be people who are interested on a data side, 
on a politics side, on a policy side, on a fundraising side, and just on a general election intrigue side. So with that many different types of audience who might want to look at this to know how much money do I need to raise to win versus I'm doing a research paper on black candidates and their likelihood of winning in the model. This has great intrigue and usage for many different audiences. To what extent will you share the data that underlies the site and the model? Uh, I think if somebody were to reach out, we'd give it, we'd give, you know, specific individuals data, but I don't think the model as a whole, the data can be shown. But for anybody who were to reach out, I'd gladly talk about that with them to let them know how much of the data they can see or, you know, comparisons of certain parts of the data, for instance, progressive candidates and what were their odds of winning. What is your hope for this site, uh, the primary cast site? What do you hope to accomplish? For one, I would love to add in mayors, lieutenant governors, secretaries of states, more offices within it. I think that'll add to the accuracy and add to the, the usefulness. I'd love to have this going for the 2024 presidential races on both the Democratic and Republican side, because there's going to be potentially historic primaries on both sides, uh, and thus a lot of interesting data to gauge. And final would be for any campaign that is looking at improving their chances of winning to reach out and ask what they can understand from reading this model, looking at the data, looking at candidates similar to them, and uh, building a pathway built around those. I mean, if there are certain key variables that indicate that you're more likely to win a primary, like good fundraising uh, or, uh, you know, being well-known, are you basically saying, hey, this is a, this is a, whole, uh, a roadmap to strengthening your candidacy? I think it is a great way for a newcomer candidate to look at a person who has a, a demographic or a background similar to them and hopefully in a similar district to understand that understand you know what their odds of winning were and how they improved them why is grassroots analytics interested in in participating in this and making this happen well grassroots analytics has an interest in candidates uh, running for office whether it's an open primary or a, a contested primary that's part of their their business and what primary cast is intending to do is make it easier for people who would hypothetically want to run or would be considering running to understand the level of fundraising, the amount of uh, money they'd need to spend on name recognition to improve their grading in the primary cast grading system. My understanding is you do this only on the Democratic side. Why not do both? Uh, I think that the variables involved for a Republican primary would be rather different. There's significantly smaller Republican voting turnout in the, uh, in the primary, generally speaking. This is not to say that in the future, Republicans could not be included, but there has been much more intrigue and uh, information over the past, I'd say, two to four years on Democratic primaries and Democratic elections than on Republican congressional elections, at least to me. You have mentioned that you picked up a master's in political science from Hopkins. What's next? Where's your career taking you? Well... I'm going to be running for office, but as this is a you know a business call, I'm not going to say when or where. For other things, I plan to continue studies on uh, policy and continue research paper on uh, Prince George's County and its uh, political environment, and continue to work with primary cast because it is truly historic and it is very very awesome for me to have a model that predicts all these different races. Generally speaking, it's rather accurate and rather consistent. And even where it's wrong, the data gets to improve the model. So running primary cast is something I'm, I'm happy to be doing now. There are models that predict congressional elections in the general. Would it make sense to add such a model to primary cast? Uh, of course, the name wouldn't quite fit, but would <laughs> <you>? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll make one important distinction in that, that our model is based upon our data variable inputs, whereas... For most of those, for instance, 538 or real clear polling average, 
Uh, those are based on opinion polls. I think that in modern society, those have a lot of shortcomings. So our model, I think, has more flexibility. But if we were to either A, try and add in the data that's being shown from the real clear polling average or from the 538 on within the data that's already shown, like to show it within the tracker, I would be supportive of that. But also for us to apply our same variables to see what Democrats have a likelihood of winning in the general. The sky's the limit. Now that the model is made, there are a whole bunch of ways we can improve it and add more stuff. And those are a couple of good ideas that I'm going to remember. Thanks for giving them to me. Are you aware of a, an application called DEC that uh, forecasts lots of elections for electoral contests all over the place? And that's not one I'm familiar with. I'm mostly familiar with 538 and real clear polling averaging. What else should I ask you? I think the best question is, what is the best predictor of a candidate winning? It is fundraising. Within our model, it's accounted for within fundraising. I believe our statistic is that the first candidate to raise $150,000 in a race wins about 80% of the time, roughly. But within our model, outside of even the fundraising grade, fundraising has a significant impact on both uh, name recognition and organizational support. Name recognition, generally speaking, for congressional races is accrued via TV, radio, literature, and mail ads. Direct to voters uh, expense can be found from the FEC reports. For organizational support, organizations generally tend to coalesce around a candidate that has a chance of winning, which is generally understood by a candidate that has enough money to run a, a, a serious race. Do you think that fundraising is a good indicator of someone who will win because money helps campaigns or because money flows to candidates who are stronger, who are more likely to win, rather than just the utility of the money? Yeah, I, I would argue the latter. I think that it that raising early money, number one, people prefer to support a winner. Number two, once you've already started getting the money, it makes it more difficult for others to get it. It becomes self-reinforcing, both in terms of you getting more money and your opponents getting less. Uh, so I think that it is much more about the image and appearance of winning slash boxing out your opponents than it is about necessarily what the money can do for the campaign. What is your opinion about the site, primarycast.us, which displays the data and the results of the model that you've been discussing? Do you feel like that has properly conveyed what you want to convey? Yeah, absolutely. If anybody has any questions regarding the model, please feel free to message me. My email is richard at primarycast.us. I would love to talk about the data with you. Please go on the website. And if you have any questions, hit the email button. So thank you for listening in. Those were Danny, Carney, and Richard. Their work is at primarycast.us. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.